I'm in the gym doing two a day. Let's run it up. Guys, this is Carl Reed with my co-host, Carl Washington, and the Run Up the Score podcast. We got a special guest today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the head football coach of Minneapolis North High School, Coach Charles Adams. How you doing, Coach? I'm blessed, brothers. I'm blessed, man. I can't I can't complain one bit, man. Uh, it's a blessing. So, so, Coach, I met you at the Iowa Clinic of Champions uh, where they bring in a, a lot of coaches from around the state. I actually got an opportunity to meet with you and your dad yeah. and um, who both happen to be police officers as well as, as coaching football, you know, which is an interesting dynamic. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, first, I want you to tell everybody a little bit about your coaching background, kind of tell everybody where you've been in your career as a coach and and what led you to prominence because you are the only public city school team in the state of Minnesota to ever win the state championship, which is a huge accomplishment uh, that you got done. So kind of give the listeners your background and then we're going to get into some other things. Well, was born and raised on the north side of Minneapolis. Uh, my father, my mother, my uncle, we all went to north, obviously played ball there. Uh, you know, when I took over the program, it was it was struggling. Um, I think the first year that I, I, I started coaching there, um, actually, the, the the coaching staff had left and went to another school and, um, you know, they didn't have a head coach. So, I you know, I stepped up because I was on the coach staff as an assistant. Uh, I probably had 17 kids total. Um, we lost. We won one game and uh, I, I didn't know how I was going to get guys to come out after winning one game with 17 people. Uh, but what I knew was that, um, you know, kind of being persistent and, and letting kids know that we got a vision and we can, we can make things better. Cause I know the pride in our, in our community, um, that was important to show that, but for the most part, uh, you know, things started off Rocky, uh, you know, winning one game, two games there, and then gradually everything started getting better into where, you know, we were winning 10, 11 games, going to the state tournament every, the last seven years in a row, winning conference championships, you know, winning a state championship and then um, losing a couple times in the state championship. Uh, but, you know, three out of five years being in that game, which is tough. Uh, but just, you know, kind of just seeing the greatness in the kids that I have in this community and letting them know that the, you don't need to go out to the suburbs to, to, to have the opportunity to play on TV and to be recognized. So that that's what really drives me to get these kids the opportunity to be in, um, you know, in the limelight and have the colleges be able to, you know, see their, their talents. Also, be heavy academic with these kids and getting them the recognition that they deserve. Hey, coach, you said you had 17 kids starting out. So what was the sales pitch to the kids? How did you get kids go to come? What was your sales pitch? Well, you know, uh, my daddy always told me, he said, man, if, if anybody going to take you serious, you got to run things official. So um, I was that that year um, I was working patrol during the uh, during the summer. So I like I literally was like going to kids houses and it, everybody didn't answer the phone, obviously, or answer the doors. But I was I mean, the kids that I knew and I'm like, hey, you know, because I, I worked in the school, too. So kids knew me, but I would just really just had to go recruit and tell kids like, hey, I'm the new head coach. I mean, y'all know my energy. Um, trust me, it's going to be worth your while. Just come out and, let, and let's do it. Um, you know, parents, you know, at the time, a lot of parents wanted to go to other schools that were bigger and they considered better. But I just said, hey, if you guys stick with me, um, I, I promise it'd be worth your while. That's what's up. 
So from 17 kids to state champions, like what at what point did you see it turning? Like what was the what was the key in the turnaround? I think so. So that first year, um, you know, 17 kids. Uh, we won one game. Then the second year, uh, we won zero games. And then after that, that's when Tyler Johnson and that crew came in and they were all freshmen. So I think what the turnaround was, was they all came in. Tyler obviously was playing quarterback um, and eventually ended up moving to receiver in the NFL now. But uh, it was one of those situations where I'm like, man, I just I just lost every game. What what do I have to lose to start a group of freshmen? I don't have nothing to lose because if they win one or two games, it's still different. It's still better better than what we did the year before. So uh, I think people in the community realize that I wasn't going to waste um, these kids time with, you know, just, Hey, you know, you're ninth grader, you're 10th grader, you know, I'll get you ready. But then I'll start playing you when you're 11th or 12th grader. You know, these kids are bouncing from couch to couch, house to house. I don't have it. I didn't have that time and I didn't want to waste these kids time. And I figured that if I gave kids the confidence and that they could help me, um, you know, and if they weren't ready, obviously, but if they could help me, I was going to use them. And I think that's what got people attracted to come to play for me. I always feel like inner city kids, the thing that is missing from them, they don't never have nobody to show them genuine love. Yeah. On the time that they born, it's all about scheming and getting over on each other. They go mm -hmm. to the corner store, the dope fiends begging and yeah. trying to scheme and hustle them. So mm -hmm. I always felt like if anybody show these kids some love and, and a little guidance, ain't no telling where they could end up. Yeah. Because it, they they really want it, like you know what I'm saying. They really want to get out the hood. They really want to go to college, but they just don't know what street to take. And they always take the street that that's most traveled. So I salute you for that, man. Yeah, they, you know the the biggest thing too is, you know, you can preach to your blue, you know, you're blue in the face, but that you know, being from the from the area, being there, like I'm I'm telling kids like. You know, y'all, the rivals, you know, the game, whatever the rival gangs are, I, you know, I lived on that block. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm I walk to the school like the same things that you guys encounter or do encounter every day at school. That's what I did when I was, you know, with my dad being a cop, you know, just the same area. So they could definitely relate um, to me and I can relate to them. But, yeah, the love portion is important because I see them in me like I, that. That's who I was. So uh, it, it definitely, you know, once they once they know that you fooled them, they're going to run through a big wall for you. No doubt. I believe that myself, coach. I believe that myself. So why? Why hasn't because we said you're the only public school in the, in, in the state that ever won a state championship. Why do you think that is? I mean, you know what it is, man. It's privilege, you know, so I kind of had to kind of had to break that stigma. You know, it was just. You know, I think a lot of the city schools are kind of limited themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just I, I was I just not that guy, man. I'm like, I'm not that guy because I always thought like, you know, I know how the college thing goes. I know that if I'm not on TV or if I'm not in the state championship, if I'm not in the, in the limelight, my my kids aren't going to be seen the way they need to see. So I was determined to like, hey, we got to be at a level where people can see us, man. You know, a lot of guys are just complacent. And they're like, oh, yeah, we won three games. You know, Johnny got to come out. We got the lineup good. And I'm like, no, our kids deserve way more than that. Our kids should be in the limelight like everybody else. They should be on TV. They should be holding up rings. They should be doing all of that. And 
you got to speak it into existence. You know, a lot of the coaches, we got really good coaches in the city, but they don't have that drive to say, you know what, I'm going to win a championship one day. They thought I was crazy when I said it, but I was like dead serious. And now it's like, even if I get there, obviously I got to win it, but it's not like, I'm not, I'm not cool with just getting there to the state tournament. Like I got to win that thing, man. So coach, a lot of people, you know, a lot of young black coaches, especially, they get their start at schools like the one you coach at right now. Yeah. You know, you can take over a program that's very low level, that doesn't have a lot of kids, it's in the inner city, doesn't have funding, doesn't have the participation. You know, what advice could you give those coaches? Because that's where most of us get our opportunity. I was at a school like that in my first opportunity. We had a great a great friend of ours, Trey Porter, who, who ran into some things here in St. Louis, and that's where, where he got his start at schools like that. And that goes on in St. Louis, in Minneapolis, in Chicago, in Memphis, wherever right. you look. That's where young black coaches are getting their start. What can you tell them and what's some of the advice you can give them that they can stay consistent and grow their program and not get discouraged by the things that they don't have and what are some of the things that they can do to kind of close the gap between them and more well-funded programs? Well, you know, you, you got to quit making excuses, you know, um, you, you got to you got to quit making excuses that well, you can't do this because of that. Um, you also have to have the strong relationship and a bond with the parents that's in your community, along with, you know, any uh, businesses or anybody that invests in your community. Uh, sometimes we, you know, as as men or black folks, we worry about the wrong stuff you know, like how good we look, you know, obviously you want your kids to look good. If you look good, you play good, but let's focus on the things that actually get them what they need opposed to just get, you know, wanting to have brand new uniforms each year, but kind of just, you know, focusing on it and getting a good group of coaches that you can trust and, and, and that, um, that can follow the direction that you want to push these kids into. I believe when you build it up, when you build it from the ground up, you write your own ticket. That's right. That's right. Like say for instance, say for instance, the fat man, he built Luther North from the ground up, so he wrote his own check. He gonna mm -hmm. be at Luther North till he decide to leave. That's right. That's right. You know? But when you jump in like a program like in St. Louis, like if you was to go to CBC, Reed, you don't win in two years, they gonna say you a loser because yeah. it, it. Why isn't he winning? This is CBC. Yeah. So I always think that it's better actually to build it from the ground up. It is, and you, know, you, hit, you hit it right on the head. That's that's you. You writing your own. You're writing your own check right there. You know, a lot of guys. You know, when you're dealing with black coaches, and it's probably like like this at all levels. Well, it is. Um, there's the opportunity is not the same. Um, the the community. Some of those schools are in whether they private schools or, or big suburban public schools. They might a lot of them still don't identify with black coaches. We're fortunate here in St. Louis that we do have a lot of black coaches and a lot of the programs. And so that's kind of started to turn here for us. But they do want you to prove yourself at programs that have never really had success. And when you get one of those opportunities, man, you just got to take it and run with it and make the most out of it. It's like Coach Adams said earlier, you can make excuses with it or you can come in and really just get the work done and be about the work. And if you right. can get that done, then like you just said, dude, you can write your own ticket and that really becomes your program. So anytime you think of Minneapolis North, you think of Coach Adams. You know, any anytime I think about inner city football or public school football in the state of Minnesota, 
this is who I think of. And he he's my go-to for everything. I think another thing that coaches have to do, especially young black coaches, because one of the differences is I think that a lot of young black coaches that get into high school coaching were really good players in some instances. And so the fact that they were good players, they think that that gives them favor in coaching and it doesn't. You still have to work. You have to be very committed to the work. So, like, I'm from St. Louis, coaches from Minneapolis, but we met in Iowa. We met in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, at a coaches clinic, trying to learn, trying to get better. At the same time, we both were also speaking, you know, mm-hmm. so you have to travel and kind of get out. And if we both weren't in Iowa, you know, then we wouldn't have met each other and we wouldn't be having this conversation now. But it was me stepping out of my comfort zone. Because uh, I'll tell you this, Nunu, you know Bethany, who's a good friend of both of us, I wasn't going to go speak at the clinic, right? When I got the thing from Iowa, it was actually Corey Bethany who told me that I needed to start doing more of those kind of things, you know, mm-hmm. to broaden your reach a little bit, or I wouldn't have went if Corey Bethany hadn't pushed me to go. Right, you know, right. so by being willing to step outside the box and do some things that you normally wouldn't do. And I met a lot of great people um, that weekend. I mean, it, it's probably the best coaching's clinic that I had ever been to, you know, yeah. in terms of that coach. I don't know if that was your first time or if you had been before, but uh, yeah, that it was, was a really neat clinic. Yeah, that was my second time going, and, and I totally agree with you, Coach. Um, so, 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 Coach Adams, what what is your main goal? Trying to get kids into college or building a powerhouse? Or do they go hand-in-hand? Man, I'm trying to get uh, I'm trying to get these dudes some money, man. Trying to get these dudes some money and not necessarily, you know, I how you hear people escape the hood. No, I'm not talking about escape the hood. I'm try- I'm getting I-, I want them to get what they deserve based off of what they do. Um, you know, the equality of if you're a good athlete, you got good grades and you put in the work, you should be seen the same way as anybody else. But, you know, given an opportunity to go somewhere, um, an opportunity to do di- something different for your family or whatnot. So uh, the powerhouse is we're, we're always going to have athletes. We're always going to have the guys. We don't have those guys. But now my goal, I would say, is to dominate on that end of, you know, 15, you know, like Coach Reed, you know, having 15, 20 guys getting offered up and going everywhere across the country. That's where I want to dominate at. And then people are like, man, these 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 kids is from the hood. Like, yeah, that's what I'm on. I'm on that. Like the powerhouse, we passed that because we're gonna have guys, we're gonna be there every year. But I wanna I wanna dominate on a trip on, on that on that level to where guys are getting getting scholarship offers and they can pick and choose where they want to go to. Yeah, so coach, tell us, tell us, you mentioned his name earlier. Tyler Johnson is kind of the guy who got the run going for you. Um played started off playing quarterback for you. At some point he moved to receiver. Yeah. Played collegiately, is in the NFL now. Kind of, what was it like coaching Tyler? What were the things that that he did that was different than everybody else? And kind of give everybody his background on where he played in college and and how that worked out for you and how that benefited your program and the other kids in it. You know, coaching uh, coaching Tyler was you know was great for this program. Um, just you know, I knew he was different his ninth grade year. Um, you know, we were just doing seven on seven stuff and he came out and at first he was saying, man, I'm going to private school, but he kept coming to our workouts. And I'm like, man, I hope I can keep this kid, man, because this kid can play. So he kept coming. He kept coming. You know, something happened to where he couldn't go to the private school. And he said, well, coach, 
I'm gonna give it a shot here and see how things go. And I'm like, good, boo. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make it work. But um, he literally was like a coach on the field. You know, it was coach. What do you think? You know, or I'm thinking about this coach. And it was conversations that we had. It was never. Um, his leadership was everywhere, whether it was we were working on special teams, if we were working on offense, defense, because he obviously played everywhere because a lot of our guys play both ways anyway. But he was just like, you know, coach, hey, I got this idea. And it, it was just really special to hear him, you know, you know, pick, 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 pick your brain and say, hey, this this is what I think we should do, coach. Um, he played quarterback all four years for us. But obviously, when he went to the University of Minnesota, to the Gophers, he ended up switching to receiver. Um, and that was huge because. Kids from North Minneapolis do not go to the Gophers. They don't. Um, so he was the first one ever for North High. And he was obviously he done broke every record as a receiver for the Gophers. And he came from our school. So he really, you know, um, got things started by not only being here in this program, but then going into you and tearing things up and then now being drafted into the NFL. That's great. That's hey, do you still keep in touch with the kid, Tyler? Oh, yeah. And and that's the best thing about him. Uh, you know, I just I, that's why it's a blessing because he doesn't have to. But I'm, I'm his coach. You know what I mean? Uh, I uh, he I was fortunate enough to be um, he asked me to be a part of a lot of his decisions with this draft and NFL stuff. And I, and I thought that was great. You know, I was able to help him, you know, find an agent. Um, you know, just, you know, contract stuff that helped him, um, you know, just kind of guidance. And he was constantly asking me about, you know, just decisions that, you know, I was kind of blessed to be a part of him asking me. Um, yeah, he still calls and checks in. We check on each other. Uh, I, I would say our relationship, you know, when he was playing for the Gophers, it was I would be nitpicky with them because I didn't want him to get complacent, you know. And he always knew that. And he always wanted me to be truthful with him and not say, hey, man, oh, great, wonderful game. I, I'm just not that guy. So he, you know, he knew and he would admit that if he had three touchdowns, I'd be like, man, but you 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 alligator armed out that one in the second quarter coming across the middle. You know what I mean? Yeah, coach, I know you're right. Like that's 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 how our relationship is. And, and I think the more that I am with him with that, he looks towards, you know, um, being consistent and keeping our relationship. I always say, because in St. Louis, cats can consider themselves a great coach about how many championships they win, right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking high school, youth, all that, right? I believe the mark of a good coach is how many kids come back and, 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 and come back and reach out to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you, when I'm listening to you talk, because now that you got that relationship with Tyler, that just opened the floodgate because all the other kids going to be like, he yeah. helped Tyler, he can help me. That's you right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. And, and, and that's the way, that's the mindset. That's the mindset. You know, they're looking like, well, yeah, if I, if I do what Tyler did, I mean, I could be in the same position. We got a kid at Northern Iowa, um, Omar Brown, you know, was a starter as a freshman at cornerback, um, you know, bodies league ready. You know, he stayed for two, three more years. He's going to be in the same position, but he's the same thing. He's like, Hey, I'm seeing what Tyler's doing. I'm about to, he's leading by example. Hey, I got to do what he did so I can get to where he's at. Right. That's a, that's a good feeling when, when you see your, your dream and your hard work coming to fruition and it's starting to pay off. I bet that means, Hey, I bet you want to sit back and just smoke you a stogie and be like, <laughs> I got it. The, the success is just seeing this each year and a year and having another name, you know, another success or, you know, just, 
and success isn't you know just written based off of just going to NFL and being a top you know a top pick. It's just whatever your goals are and you are able to achieve it. If it was to complete the whole season, not get hurt and have fun and be a part of the team, and that was your goal, and I helped you accomplish that. That's my success right there with you. Yeah, I always say I just want to my I base my success off. Is the kid better now than when I got him? Yes, yes. Like if I got him in July and in November, is he better then? Then that was a successful season. The wins and losses will take care of themselves. That's right. That's right. You know, that's what I always judge my success off of when the season is over. Can I look at every last one of them kids and say, you got better, you got better, you got better, and I ha- I played a, a small part in it. That's, that's what it is. That's it. So, yeah. Cole, everybody – the George Floyd situation. George mm-hmm. Floyd was killed by a police officer. It set off riots and protests throughout the country. You have a unique perspective because number one, you live in Minneapolis. So you right. are ground zero, everything goes that was going on. Number two, you are a police officer. And so is your father. And number three, you are the coach of an inner city group of kids who I'm sure went through a lot of emotions with the situation because it seems to be coming common throughout the country where we see white officers killing black men. You know, how did it affect you? And, and number one, in terms of your job and everything that was going on. And also what, what knowledge were you able to give your kids in that situation? And how crazy was it in Minneapolis actually being there um, differently than what people see on TV in the city? You know what? It was, you know what, to be honest with you, coach, it, it was screwed up, you know. So and I don't know if you guys are too familiar, but the, the Minneapolis school board, um, you know, once this happened, they decided to end the contract with Minneapolis police officers working as SROs in the school, school resource officers, basically school liaison officers. That was my position for 10 years, um, working in the school with the kids, uh, unique position that I really took to heart and used to build relationships, but also, you know, keep my boys out of trouble. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, it wasn't based off of the prison, the pipeline, you know, rumors that people say it was basically, I'd rather be in a school and be a law enforcement and knowing if a kid is in, in involved in something, I can, I can deter that. And I can, I can make sure that we handle it in-house, you know, with administration in the school and not put those kids in a position where they got to see the courts. That's what my position was in that school. Um, so I felt personally that my job was I was penalized because of um, what happened in that situation. And, and just just so that I start, I don't like every every cop that I associate with. And we all like Derek. I don't want to say his name. That dude ruined our lives, man. He ruined my life for sure. I can't be with my boys, you know, um, during the day no more. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm back on patrol. Um, I, I can't watch out what they're going. I like he ruined my life. You know, now my wife and my kids are a little bit more anxious because now I'm dealing with folks out in the community a little bit more than just dealing with my kids during the school. So that really hit me hard. Um, but when it all came about, I mean, when I mean ground zero, I mean, ground zero, like hats and bats. Uh, and I was literally in the trenches, you know, um, the first night I was actually escorting a fire department to all the fires. So we're, we we were, man, I, dude, like 
getting stuff thrown at you, people shooting at you, and you got to guard the, you, you got to protect the firefighters. You know, I had to get on the phone and I had to tell all, I had to tell the team like, hey, you know what? I don't even know like if I might be back, like because I'm like I'm getting shot at. Do do you believe? Do you believe that we need some sort of police reform? Absolutely. Do you the believe that? Do you think the, the police is getting out of hand with this killing black people stuff? Man, they don't know how to talk to us, man. They don't know how to talk to us, and that's the that's the main thing. They think that everybody is a criminal, man. They think that everybody is up to wrongdoing, man. And, and some some guys don't know how to take the time to even just have a conversation because they, they always want to rush people and get irritated when people are asking for help. That's the biggest problem, you know, not knowing how to treat people. Um, you know, when I got to my shift, I told guys, I said, I'm going to let y'all know right now, we're going to go to calls and we're going to be in the hood and somebody going to roll up on us and be like, coach, coach, coach. That's just love, man. That's just love. I'm from this hood. It's going to be mama's auntie's grandma running up crime scene. They don't care. They're coming to give me a hug. Just be, this, that, that's just how it is. And some of the guys is like, oh, you know, you know, I just, you know, it, talk to these folks, man. Cause there's a lot more people that want us that, that don't want us. I heard, so, I heard, I heard, a, uh, I got a black friend, Clayton Foreman. He's a police. And he said the same thing that you said. He said the, the number one thing with white police, they don't understand black culture. Yeah. And the example, the example he gave, he said, for instance, when you talk to a black person, a lot of times they talk with their hands. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the white officer interprets that as negativity. Or when black people talk, they get loud. Yep. And when white cops see a guy flailing his hands and talking loud, they automatically assume that it's a threat. Yep. And he was saying that the biggest, the biggest thing is the, the, the miscommunication gap. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him that society as a whole paints black men in a negative light. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I, I don't think all white people are racist. I just believe that the media and the television outlets pump negative black image to them. Yeah. yeah. So when they walking down the street and they see my son goes to the University of Texas. Okay. But if you see if a white person seen him walking down the street, they would be fearful of him. Yeah, and absolutely. absolutely harmless. All yeah. he wants to do is catch a five and out. That's all he wants to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, yeah. how do you think? How do you think we as black people should go about trying to change things, or do you think it so it falls solely in the lap of the police? No, it does. It, it doesn't. It does not fall in the lap of the police. I mean, we we definitely got to do our part, and we gotta we gotta value the community that we work in. Um, you know, you hear people say, you know, let's get more, let's get more people that look like us and more people from the community. I disagree with that because I know how janky some some black folks can be, and I live close to where I work at, but I know damn well that don't nobody want to work. Um, in the city where you policing exactly like they don't want to work in that neighborhood. Some of some of the cops probably work in the, the next neighborhood over, but you know, you got to just take value of where you're at and understand that these people are here and that you got to treat them with respect. But you know, I also get pissed when people say the black on black crime stuff like that's that's stupid. Like it's crime. It doesn't matter. Like let me, let me ask you this, coach. 
do you believe that police officers should live in where they police at? Well, I Well, see, it's different because I grew. See, I grew up in, I grew up on the north side. So, like, my granddaddy, my grandma, like, my we own houses there. So, like, it's different. I'm on the north side. I'm there, and they know damn well to not mess with nothing. None of the properties that we got, they just know. But I think that would help. But it's not realistic because um, there there could be a lot of guys that want to work in this city, but can bring value to it if they don't live here. And I think it should be a thing where you should be closer. You know, not coming from Wisconsin and, you know, coming in every day, but you should live close to the city if you want to work for Minneapolis. Okay. Let me ask you this question. I see a lot of, uh, remember the kid, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the black guy who got shot in South Carolina, he was running and police shot him in the back, right? Yes. Yeah. And had not, had not the guy recorded it, all of the guys that was out there that day, they police report justified what the dude did, but it was a false police report. And one of the officers there was a black guy. So how, like, I don't, I'm trying to understand the mindset of a black police officer. For instance, if you was there when George Floyd was getting his neck choked on, what would you have done? I honestly, first of all, it, it's common sense. You know, I, I finally got to see the body cam that was leaked out um, from a news thing. And, you know, the two guys that initially had him, they were trying to, you know, you could say that you could tell that he didn't want to be in a squad car because he, you know, he was claustrophobic, whatever. The whole part of it is the one officer, when he had his knee on him, to me, I looked at it as that was a control. That was control issue. Because the more that that guy that was recording him, they said, hey, um, get off of him. The more that in his eyes, he was like, man, I ain't getting off. Now, now that you're saying something, I ain't doing it. And that's our problem, too, that a lot of dudes got control issues. They figure that they're superior to the people. It would have been simple to me. It would have been simple to me. I would have just flat out said, man, get off of that dude, man. Get off would of you it, Would you the winners as far as getting them off of him yourself? I would have yanked, yanked him off. I would have yanked him off and said, let him sit there until the ambulance gets here. You can so sit there. He can't get up. He's in handcuffs. That dude's taller than me. Big guys don't work well in handcuffs. He's not going anywhere. So if you sit there and say, you know what? He said he got medical conditions. I'm going to wait till the ambulance come. I'm going to just sit there and wait. He's already on the ground. Do you think police officers should go at least once a year for a psychological evaluation? Once a year? Maybe twice a year. I you know, want to say every six months, but that probably yeah. 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 You, you, we we've got a bunch of guys going out for PSTD. Yeah, there are, but you know, some people are like, are they just trying to leave because they feel certain type of way or whatever? But like, I think it should be more than once because a lot of people they only get it when they come in, and that's it. So annually, they should have at least two psych evaluations per year. Why? Not? Why not? Why, why not? I mean, you got to be. You know, you got to be you got to be fit for duty. You got to be able to be to be able to work here and you got to be able to to do what, what is asked of you. You got to be mentally right. So, coach, you because of the George Floyd situation and the fallout of it, the school district severed their ties with Minneapolis, the police. So you built this program, you saved hundreds of lives and you lost your job in the building as a result. 
of the George Floyd situation. So now you're no longer in the school building during the day with your players. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line, you know, and I've heard comments like, oh, our SROs are great. And, you know, Coach Adams is, is the example of how the program should be. But 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 we got to cut ties with Minneapolis and people are like, well, what is, if he is the example of what it should be? What, what, why is he penalized? So uh, but, you know, what I've told my kids and my parents in the community, like, hey, I'm blessed. You know, I was I have enough seniority to where I was actually moved to that precinct, which where the school's at working day watch patrol and same hours. And I can just, you know, that nothing really changed. I can get off the same time. I'm fine. Right. And so you can you can still it still worked out for you to be able to stay on as the coach. Yep, absolutely. So, so you, you kind of said this earlier. You mentioned it um, because as I'm hearing about the constant issues between the police officers and killing black men. The first thing that everybody comes to, to and says is, well, what about black on black crime? That seems to be the, the defense. Um, and it also to a degree becomes something that black folks also throw up in the mix. What are your thoughts on when people, when somebody says, well, coach, what about black on black crime? You know, what are your thoughts on that? See, that, that's not a conversation that's happening within our community. That That's happening outside in comments from other people that are from the outside looking in. Um, I hear that all the time. But what's really happening right now is that um, young, old, whatever criminals there are, they are taking advantage of the narrative of the disconnect with the community and the police. So they're really feeling like, you know what, we can do whatever we want right now because we know that the police are kind of just backing off. And at some point, some of the guys are. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this. When, when I hear people say black on black crime, you you got to you got to understand that. White people kill white people, too. Right. So is there such thing as white on white crime? And then the other thing is this. When I say black on black crime, when Pookie murder Ray Ray, Pookie go to jail for life. Yep. When officer when officer Charlie killed John John. He get a GoFundMe account started for him, and he get a, he get a paid lead, yeah. and he's shipped to another district, and he gonna be a hero. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, and, and that's where it starts with you know the definitely the reform, you know, and, and things got to be done. You know, I, you know, with, with the the whole defund the police model, I, you know, that I think they worded it wrong when they said, yeah, and, and, and that was just one thing that I just didn't, even, I didn't. I don't think anybody could under, understood because from my knowledge, I thought that every year the police department is defunded in some way, either way. So I'm yeah. like, what are they when they the word defund, that scared everybody because yeah. it's a negative talk. It's, 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 it's saying as if we taking y'all guns, you ain't gonna have no more bullets, your squad cars. And that's what I'm saying about how the media controls. Like yeah. when they said defund the police, white people got scared. What do you mean? Defund yeah. them and send the white people in the pen. This my this my thing, Coach Adams, I ain't lying. Two years ago, when they said that uh, in 20 years, white people will be the minority in this country, they lost their mind. I ain't playing. I think when they put that stuff out two years ago, that in 20 years, blacks, Mexicans, and Arabs would outnumber white people. Yep. White people lost their mind, man. Yeah. yeah. They lost their mind and they went into a panic frenzy and now they're trying to do any and everything to always be right. Like, that's what they always want to do. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. And, and, and the, the, the seeing the rapid success of the minorities is, is a threat. It's a threat, you know, even with, even in the football, even in the football world and really a quick story about the, the hate of success. I remember when I won the championship, me and my daddy was walking, we were walking at halftime to, to the locker room and the, the trophy for the state championship was sitting on like the ledge at U.S. Bank Stadium and the first place trophy. It had the other team's uh, picture in there. Hmm. What? Wow. Man, I will <laughs> talk, about, talk about motivation and we were winning. Yeah. Man, I went up in there and I was like, you know, these you know they you know they got the you know what I said. Yeah, yeah, I know what you said. So so <laughs> that, that was the thing, like, and then when you win, you look at all the all the guys and they sick. They sick that you won it. Yeah. And you you turn it up with yeah. your voice, how we supposed to do? We, yeah, yeah, we dance, whatever, because they're sick. Because they're like, there's no way these, these dudes should have came in here and won. And the funny part about it is, like, white people love everything about us except us. Yeah. yeah. They love our swag. They love the way, like, for instance, um, in college football, a lot of the kids now are, are being more socially aware. Yeah. And, and take my son's school, for instance. The Texas fan base, they losing their mind. Yeah. Take the scholarship. They should just be happy to be at school. Like, they yeah. Yeah. still have a good old boy slave mentality. Yeah. Like, just be happy. Mm -hmm. Just be happy. You know, and that's crazy, man. So, as, know, as, a, as a... Go ahead, Reed. You know, that is, you know, with the Pac-12 situation that's going on now, too. You know, you see a lot of the fans... And a lot of the people involved that do want these guys to just shut up and be quiet. But this younger generation is unafraid, you know, to press for those changes. You know, yep. they, they're aggressive in a way um, that's completely different than the older guys who came before them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always felt like this. In the black community, we got we got way too many soldiers and not enough generals. Yeah. Like these kids, these kids that get out here and protest and they'll tear a town down. But if they had somebody to be out there on the front lines with them and guide them and lead them, man, they'll be powerful. Because like you said, they fearless. They don't, you know, they, they all they know is, you know, we got to change stuff. And and what you doing, Coach Adams, by being on the front lines with the kids, man, I got to salute you for that, bro. Especially Thanks. as a police. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the kids in is he really with us or is he with them? That's yeah. in their mind. And you know what I'm saying? You study beating in their head. Yo, I'm with y'all. We look alike. I'm not with them. So I hey bro. Hey, yeah. I salute you. They they get it though, and don't and, and they they use it. So the best thing that the best thing, and my daddy's a commander, so he's my daddy's in charge of um all the violent crimes now, like homicide, assault, like he's in charge of that. So the the, the best thing about that is those kids know. And the police department know, like, if you run into one of my boys, um, you better get a hold of me. You better not do nothing until you get a hold of me. And I don't care what rank you are. And that's been really good for us um, because if a kid, you know, gets stopped or pulled over and, they, you know, the, the cop would be like, well, what school you go to? Yeah, I go to North. Oh, yeah. Let me call your coach real quick. Yeah. So, yeah, let me call your coach real quick. And no, I got him. I got him. I got him, officer. You can let him go. I'll get him. I'll get him tomorrow. So we've definitely established that. 
Um, but there's also been kids that act like they can hide from from me, and and then they tell they get told on anyway. But and that's how it should be. Um, you know, a lot of the cops now, you know, with my dad, and uh, they rather for us to deal with them, which is good. That's what's up. And that's how it should be with community policing. That that's that's working together though. That's putting the kids in a situation that they can be successful because when you talk about discipline, you you're using discipline to try to change behavior, not just to punish. You know, mm -hmm. so if you can get the kids' behavior changed, you know, through that model of policing, through that model of discipline, then that is the best that is the best possible situation for them. You know, now, coach, another thing um, to, to touch on this before we let you go, uh, COVID-19 has been impacting everybody in the country. And I just saw, I think, yesterday where they say, is Minnesota going moving football to the spring? Yeah, they're moving it to the spring. Uh, so uh, no really plan. Um, the, the most we've got right now is it would be a March to May type of season. And then um, May to July for track and baseball and stuff like that. Uh, we still, I mean, y'all ain't, we still got snow in March. So, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a different kind of cold up there, you know. Um, it ain't going to be 40, but I, I will say that the last two years we had a couple games that was like 10, 15 below. And I don't even know how these kids even survived with that so we we can we will avoid that but uh what you know, yeah. what are your thoughts on the move into the spring good idea bad idea are you for it or against it uh I, obviously being a football coach uh, i was not happy about it but um i gotta look at the greater good that if it gives the kids an opportunity to play uh, I'm, I'm for it um, opposed to just, you know, not having a season at all. If we do have an opportunity, whether it's six, eight games, however, I'm good with that. Um, my thing is uh, now from, you know, August to November, what are we doing with these kids? Yeah. Like, you expect us just to come back in March? Like, that's that's my worry. Like Now, are you guys doing, doing online learning? Are you guys doing virtual learning? Or are they going into the school building? They're doing online. They're starting online. So uh, the kids won't even be in school starting off for the first quarter, at least. So my my concern about kids being online is is I, I think that it's um, I don't see thousands of kids sitting in the house in front of a computer um, every day doing schoolwork. Right. Yeah. I don't see that. So my thing is, what are these kids doing during the day? Uh, are they are they? Are they terrorizing neighborhoods? Are they getting in fights? Are they they not doing their work? You know, um, but what what if uh, what if like while the kids at school doing virtual school, their parents got to work? Yeah, that, so, that, I mean, so it's no supervision whatsoever. School, school is like a school is like a learning center, a daycare learning center. You know what I'm saying? They watch the kids for a couple hours and, and they learn. And I'm with you, Reed, with with this virtual learning. If he wasn't going to class at the school, he really ain't finna get on the computer and be like, yo, I got class at 8.30. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's you, got, you got kids that still, you know, I heard a couple of kids, you know, at our workouts the other day, they were like, yeah, man, 
I'm gonna make that money. And I'm like, man, no, y'all gotta log in. Y'all don't think this is an opportunity for y'all to still be working at Little Caesars or whatnot. Like, no, they you guys gotta get like y'all gotta do y'all work. So it's um I know that our district has supplied almost every kid um, you know, the right um, you know, the computer and uh in the hot hot spots and stuff like that, but you know, that was just a, you know, something on the fly last year, you know, when, you know, basically everybody was just like, hey, log in, do your work. Boom, let's go. I mean, I don't think they've got a true understanding of how it's going to go starting in the fall. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that that the community, that kids, that parents can do to help keep kids out of trouble during this time where they're doing virtual learning and they're not in school? Like, what are some of the things that you know, from a police officer's perspective that they could be doing to, to help um, curb kids from getting into trouble? Well, you know, it starts with just, you know, even just following the guidelines they say with, you know, with the COVID, you know, kids should be probably staying at home and completing their work during the day. And then if we're allowed, you know, whatever waiver period to have kids continue to practice, you know, their extracurricular activities should be that. And it should be limited basically to, you know, doing doing your school work and coming to the extracurricular activity to keep you because I, I figure i have to continue to have something going on because me not having kids do anything and until march we're shook it, it, it just won't work it won't work we have to have these kids engaged whether it's two days a week or you know whatever it is until you know basketball season starts we have to so coach one the last thing I really want to say, man, is just I appreciate you coming on. Um, you've had massive success. You work really hard. I, I would like for all of the young coaches that are coaching in schools identical to yours throughout the inner cities in the country to be looking at your program for inspiration, to be looking at you. If 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 a coach wants to get in contact with you via social media or anything like that. Uh, where can they follow you at on social media so they can have some kind of access to you? Yeah. So uh, man, let me see. I think I think it's Spank OA. Uh, I'm not good with it. I mean, I use it, but I don't know if, what my I think it's uh, Spank OA is my uh, my Twitter or it's one of those uh, concoctions. But uh, uh, I use it a lot. I just don't say what the name is to it. But um, anybody. uh um, you know, hit me up on Twitter. If you even put Charles Adams or whatever, it'd probably come up like OA coach OA or something like that. But, uh, like I said, I, I, I respond quickly, but I'm, I'm just like you coach. I'm, I'm willing just to reach out to any coach and, and learn, you know, it, it doesn't, and it, um, I'm humble. You know what I mean? I, I, I haven't figured it out. I mean, the first, when I first talked to you, I'm like, Hey, what else do I need to do? You know what I mean? So like, that's how I am. Like, I don't, I don't got it all. I don't got it all. I got to get it. And so I'm willing to fellowship with any coach and um, any person that's willing to teach me anything different that helps my boys out. I, you know, I got to get with, I was talking to Darren Sunken from East St. Louis earlier. I got to get with yeah. some and, and maybe uh, we can get you guys down here to the classic. Uh, and yeah. And we talked, we talked, we so, talked about that. Um, um, I'm, I was able to meet coach Sunken cause my, uh, my cousin Keisha Adams is on the school board. So she was able to introduce me to okay. him, but uh, she's been trying to get it. She's been trying to get it cracking for a couple of years. So yeah, I, I get with Sunk and see if we can get you down here for the classic. 
and play one of the teams down here. It'll be an incredible experience for your boys, and and uh, we get some things going on for them. Uh, Coach, man, we appreciate you, man. You're a godsend for your community and, and for the kids. It's and it's, it's, a ref it's refreshing um, to see. College coaches, you want to make sure, man, that you recruit Minneapolis North in this program. You know, some of the big programs throughout the country that are looking for a, a quality opponent to play that's going to bring a lot of a, a lot of talent and a great state championship winning program to some of your events. You know, look up Coach Charles Adams at Minneapolis North High School. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I just want to say, uh, you know, I appreciate you fellas. Y'all run up the score is the bomb. I Thanks. mean, yeah, just uh, you know, I'm I'm from afar. Uh, I'm, I know I'm, I'm I'm liking everything Coach Reed puts out. So, and I just you know, it's just like I said, it's 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 just a blessing to be affiliated with you guys and be able to be on the show. All right, what's up? Hey, good luck, bro. Hey, you guys got my number, man. You guys can always call me. Um, it don't you know it don't have to be we brothers. It don't have to be about no football stuff. We can talk intensely about other things. And if you guys are ever up here, you better call me. You well, better you know, call me. I'm gonna be up there because I got two kids that play for the Gophers. Right, yep. right yep. now we got we got Devion Harris mm -hmm. and I and Tank Brown. I say this while we on the air: Nunu saved Tank Brown with me. Like Nunu was very instrumental. Don't tell nobody that, Reed. I'm your boy behind the scenes. Hey. I'm your partner behind the scenes. I got to give him his due, man. He was very instrumental um, in, in helping Tank get out. And we're excited about what those guys are going to do at Minnesota. So I'm definitely going to be up there checking them out. You, you definitely hit me, and I will yeah. show you around the town. Uh, we got a brand new field that's opening up, turf, lights, all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll, we'll hit the spots in the hood. Where to go eat? Where the good foods at? Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Take me over to a Chinese restaurant because yeah. we got the best Chinese food in St. Louis. No hey, question. Man, my, hey, I got in East St. Louis. I got tons of family down there. That's why. I, so I know. I know. I know the. I, I know. I know the gist about uh the, the yeah. Chinese food. I know that. But what is hey, it? Uh, the Saint for the Saint Paul? What they call it? The, yeah, that's yeah. right. The Saint Paul. Yeah, yeah. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing I want to say, Coach, before we get you off here, you're a young black teenage male. You get pulled over and stopped by an officer. What are the rules of engagement? Give some knowledge and some tips real quick on how you need to handle yourself in that situation. Man, just 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 keep your hands where they can be seen and just answer questions. Um, don't have an opinion. You know, if they're asking you a question, you just answer it. And I, I know that sucks for us to have to do that, but it's a matter of now, is your life valuable? If, if all it takes for you to keep your hands visible and you answer the questions that are asked to you and it keeps you um, safe, um, I mean, I think that's a small price to pay just to do. All right. All right. Right on, Coach. We appreciate you for coming on, man. We'll get with you later on. Right on. God bless y'all, brothers. All right, all right, bro. All right. Take care. All no right. doubt. All right. Charles Adams built a legendary program at Minneapolis North High School in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And right now he's under extreme pressure and trying to guide those young men through one of the country's roughest times. Imagine because of the fallout of the George Floyd situation, you lose your job in the building because the relationship deteriorated between the school district and the police force. 
that's kind of the things that you have to overcome when coaching in the inner city. But Charles Adams has continued to lead his program with grace and dignity, and he's built a big-time program, and we're excited to see what he continues to do and the miracles he makes happen. This is the Run Up the Score podcast. Keep working.